0: Welcome to Make It Count, living a legacy life where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God, and that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. I'm so happy today to introduce you to my new friend, Mary DeMuth. Mary, you're from Texas. Is that right? I forgot to ask. Yes, I live in Texas. I'm actually originally from Seattle, though, West oh, Coast girl. Oh, a West Coast girl, like myself, only yep. it rain, rains more there. Yes, um, <laughs> Mary is, uh, I just found out she's an ENFP, which is the same Myers-Briggs as I am, uh, but she's written 44 books, and I've written four, so uh, she has great high pro- productivity and discipline But also um, a literary agent recently, I think, sort of recently, Mm -hmm. uh, an artist. i bought some of her work on Etsy. Go to her Etsy shop, Mary DeMuth. Uh, I would, and a podcaster, and I want you to talk a little bit about that. But I would add to your description that you are an encourager. You've been an encourager to me already in the short time I've known you. And I would add perhaps that you are a phoenix because because you've had some rough times (laughs) and you've risen out of the ashes by God's grace. And I don't know if anybody has ever called you that before, or if you've thought of yourself. Okay, there we go. So Mary, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and your ministry, and then we'll get started on the legacy questions.
1: It's interesting that you said the word Phoenix, because when I, my family and I were church planters in France in the mid-2000s, and we got to meet a lot of different people from all over the world during that time. And one of them was a British lady who was an artist. And one day, um, when I was really going through it in France, she painted a picture of a phoenix for me. And it was a really beautiful reminder of the fact that I was going to get through the hard times that we were encountering. Mm. So that's kind of a fun little thing. Um, I am the mom of three adult children. I've been married almost 31 years to my husband, Patrick. We live in a suburb of Dallas, Texas. Um, I've got a frustrating chocolate lab and a very sweet cat and, um, I love to paint and decorate and cook. And, um, I also really am loving exercise lately. So that's been good as well. Wow. And what
0: led you to exercise?
1: I just felt like it was the right, I I've been doing it for a while, but, um, I just felt like it made my mind better. So that's why, and you know, all the stats and all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good for you. Um, Explain your podcast. So I have a podcast called Pray Every Day, and that's where I pray people through the Bible verse by verse. So I go through a whole book of the Bible um, in chunks. And so uh, currently I'm going through the book of Nehemiah And um, there's a lot of names in Nehemiah, FYI. So I usually, (laughs) those are hard to read, but I usually read about a chapter of scripture a day, and then I pray according to that scripture for my audience. And that's 365 days a year. And the podcast is short. It's like five minutes long, but you get the Bible and you get prayer Mm. every single day.
0: Wow. I just think you can't really go wrong with the word. And I also I, like I, short podcasts. Yes, it's a, it's a good combination. It's a great combination. And how do
1: you know which book of the Bible to do or which chunk? I just pray. So um, now uh, next month I'll start the book of Job. So because um, I feel like people are going through the book of Job in their lives. And so Absolutely. it's just a perfect book to walk through.
0: Okay. And do you use a certain um, translation?
1: I was used... Multiple translations um, just to make sure I wasn't violating, you know, any sort of thing. Mm. Um, But now I'm using just to really be clear. I'm using the World English Bible, WEB. It's a free version to be able to use without having permission.
0: Oh. Oh, I didn't know. So when you speak it, you have to have permission.
1: I don't think it it matters in a podcast because a podcast episode stands alone like a book would stand alone. So it probably doesn't matter. But just to be ultra safe, I'm using a royalty-free version. Okay.
0: Okay, that's great. And and tell the audience again the name of your podcast so they can sign up.
1: It's Pray Every Day or they can go to prayeveryday.show.
0: Okay, prayeveryday.show. And we'll be putting all her links for her things in the show notes. So don't worry if you miss that. Um, what would you say is the most
1: important thing about you that you would tell someone? That I love Jesus. That's definitely the most important thing. He rescued me from so much darkness and... Uh, set my feet upon a rock making my footsteps firm and he's put a song in my mouth and uh, I can't help but talk about him
0: and does that ever startle anybody Um, when they say tell us about tell me who are you and you say well I love Jesus does that like throw throw them (laughs) I mean maybe in Texas you can say that easier than in Seattle but has it ever thrown someone for a loop
1: or has it opened an opportunity to talk more. That's a great question. Um, in Texas, it's really normal, so it's not a problem. In France, which is more like the West Coast of the United States, it was a it was both a curiosity, an anger, mm-hmm. um, but also eventually a welcoming in to talk about it because uh, most of the people that we were meeting there would say that they were atheists. Wow. Um, And so that was that, but they also were really into things like mediums and spiritists and things like that. And so they were spiritual. So saying that I was also spiritual was helpful um, to begin a dialogue.
0: Yeah, and to begin a dialogue without arguing. I think that's key because I think that's so off-putting. And yet uh, you think, well, okay, they say they're spiritual, but I don't think they know Jesus. That's going around in my head. I don't know if you think the mm-hmm. same way, but then you quickly pray and say, well, what else should I say, Lord, now to keep bringing it around to you? Well, I love that. Um, uh, you write in your, on your website that you say you no longer have to live haunted. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, I grew up in a home that I didn't want to duplicate later when I grew up and started having children of my own. Um, lots of uh, neglect, divorces, parental death. My, my biological father died when I was 10 years old. There was drug abuse in the home. There was selling of drugs going on. Um, and it was just an extremely unsafe environment. And I uh, I also was sexually abused at the age of five from neighborhood boys. Um, after kindergarten, I would come home half day kindergarten and be with a babysitter. And the babysitter was the one that pushed me out into the evergreen air, into the uh, into the arms of these two boys. And they spent that kindergarten year molesting me. And um, of course, they told me that they would kill my parents if I told. And uh, eventually they started inviting their friends oh, and- At that point, that's when I really snapped. And i it's odd that I didn't tell my parents, but I think I intrinsically knew that they were not safe. And so I told my super unsafe babysitter, who obviously didn't care. And um, she said, I'll tell your mom. And then she the next day, the boys came back, of course, and she let me go. And uh, so then at that point, to save myself, I learned how to sleep. And so I would sleep all afternoon to avoid having to be with them. And then I moved away, thankfully. Um, but I spent a lot of my life um, feeling like people were after me, and they were. There was a lot of just sexual predators in my life, and I, I spent a lot of time running away from them. Having my father die when I was 10 was difficult. Several divorces in the middle of all that. And then um, and then at, uh, right, right around seventh and eighth grade, I was definitely thinking about taking my life. And um, thankfully, I had a counselor who... Loved me and listened to me in my school. He was just a school counselor, Mr. Thompson. Hmm. And then the following year in ninth grade, I was invited to Young Life by my friend Luann. And I started hearing about Jesus for the first time. Hmm. And that following year as a sophomore, I went to a weekend camp where I heard the whole gospel and uh, that's when I gave my life to Jesus at 15 years old as a sophomore in high school. And so when I talk about being haunted, there's just so much trauma there. There's triggers, there's memories. And oddly, my memory was exactly correct. Um, you know, sometimes we chastise victims for, are you right. sure you didn't make that up? Well, I didn't make it up because I went back to the place Um where it all happened a couple of years ago, first time I'd ever been back, and I I knew the streets, I knew everything. I, it was just odd how clearly I had remembered everything that had happened. Did you go with your husband, or did you go by yourself when you went back? I did not go by myself. I did go with my husband, and <laughs> at, and I was like, praise God! And we were taking pictures of everything, and I was forgetting about the body keeping the score. And uh, an hour later, I started vomiting, and oh I spent my a God a day vomiting and thinking I was going to have to go to the hospital because I was so sick. And I thought, you know, my mind was fine. I was like, this mm-hmm. is great. God's got me victory, but my body just said, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're going to eliminate everything inside your stomach. <laughs> wow. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's, that was not fun. <laughs> no, but it's just seems like it's something that you had to do to finish getting it out. You had already yeah. gotten, it, gotten it out spiritually. God had, did, um, I hope this is not too personal of a question. Did you have to go to therapy as well as get saved?
1: Um, yes. Uh, here and there throughout my life, uh, the lion's share of my healing, and I'm not against therapy at all, but the lion's share of my healing happened in college where I had just a really good group of friends and a great church that believed that God would heal me. And so I spent four years being prayed for and I cried for four years, definitely. Um and then it, as certain things came up, I was able to get counseling. We were always fairly financially strapped. And sure. so the idea of counseling was <clears throat> very difficult. So when my husband was at Dallas Theological Seminary. They allowed <clears throat> spouses to go through their counseling office that if you didn't mind meeting with a student and I didn't. So um, I d- was able to get free counseling for a couple of years, which was really great.
0: Wonderful. Mm. Wonderful. Um What do you say to the woman who feels stuck in a painful past? Not that they have to have gone through something as dramatic or painful as yours, but everybody has some pain. But I know just in some people I know that are still stuck in it are still saying, "Um, I can't do what you do, or I don't believe in God, or why did God do this to me? To me, those are all feeling stuck in their past past.
1: You don't wave a magic wand. (laughs) What would you say to them? First of all, I wish there were a magic wand. That would be really nice. Um, But I would say um, the thing I tell audiences often is an untold story never heals. So regardless Mm -hmm. of whether they're a Christ follower or not, Mm -hmm. um, telling that story is really important. The key is um, to tell it to someone who's safe. Uh, the me too movement has been very good in many ways, but one of the negative aspects of it is that people just started hashtagging themselves me too And sharing their stories for the very first time to a crowd of people that didn't know them or understand them or any of that So my caution is to find someone safe and let that story out Because if you keep it inside, it's it will haunt you for the rest of your life. And if that's too scary write out that story and then begin to think about and pray about who is safe enough to read the story to or just to hand it to if it's that scary. Hmm. Once you get it out, then the work begins of healing. Um, but if it's tangled up inside you, you're, it'll just stay tangled.
0: Hmm. And I noticed that one of your books is called uh, Me Too or We Too? We I'm, Too, yes. Did that come out just because of the latest We Too movement? Or you just said it was time to put a Christian slant to this?
1: Um, no, it it actually doesn't have anything to it it does, of course, you know, because of the title it 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 corresponds with the with the Me Too movement. But I was getting really tired of how the church was treating sexual abuse victims and I felt like there needed to be a book out there that talked about the importance of community and healing. And mm. so that's why it's called we too. And the mm. subtitle is how the church can respond redemptively to the sexual abuse crisis. So this was a love letter to the church to help the church to be a better, safer place for people who are hurting and need love and care and compassion, not judgment and, you know, setting them to the side. And has there
0: been a good response from churches? Do you know?
1: Uh, Yes. Yes. Um, It's hard to say like, oh, this whole church had a good response, but in, in terms of church leaders, yes. I've had some great conversations. I've been on some great podcasts about that particular issue and seems like especially the next generation, millennial, Gen Z, are very interested in doing something different than our generation um, with sexual abuse victims. And for that, I'm very heartened.
0: Yeah. And the fact is, well, I'm older than you, but my parents didn't even use the word sex. I mean, in their conversation, I mean, things have have changed (laughs) changed to, to the, some to the betterment, some not. Sure. And you don't have to talk about everything. But, um, but we need to love everybody and to know and to accept them because that's the way Jesus accepted us. That's why I talk about hospitality a lot, because Jesus invited me to his table with all my warts. And that the fact that we can do that, and maybe someone will come to our table or come to your podcast who has never realized that Jesus has accepted them as they are, and that's mm-hmm. why we do what we do. What if you don't feel forgiven or restored, even after you've come to Jesus' table?
1: That's a lifelong journey. And I think we place expectations on when we meet Jesus, we're going to automatically feel 100% forgiven. Or when we meet Jesus, everything's going to be healed. Well, that's not true. I've spent my lifetime healing from all of the stuff I just told you about. and so it's, and also, it's a fact, so we don't have to worry about our emotions about it. The fact is, is when you meet Jesus and you ask for forgiveness, you are forgiven. The cross has said it all, hmm. and the cross is a pardoning cross, and so whether you feel forgiven or not, that doesn't matter. The fact is, you are forgiven, and hmm. so it's a matter of retraining your mind to believing the truth of Scripture, that you are living as a forgiven daughter or son of the King.
0: Mm. I love that. What um, was there an event that helped you begin to restory or to tell your story?
1: I felt like, well, I'll say this: um, I can count on one hand in all the years I've been in the church where someone's addressed sexual abuse from the pulpit, mm. and. Uh, couple of those times for me. (laughs) So um, anyway, so I felt like in the 90s, I felt like someone needed to talk about this. And so Mm -hmm. I was a speaker before I was a writer. And I started speaking about this issue in the 90s because I saw the need. Mm -hmm. And I would have, I would make church leaders uncomfortable, but I would make people in the pews relieved. And they would come up to me afterwards Mm -hmm. There'd be like seventy-five-year-old women coming up saying, "I've never shared my story before," and then burst into tears, wow. and then they began to get healing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Why are we keeping this secret?" It's a reality. Um, if you know sixty to seventy-five percent of us have cancer in a congregation, don't you think there's going to be programs for people with cancer? Yes, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, this does not reflect. It doesn't have the same kind of um, you know, connection to it. So I don't know, that's kind of the reason why I began to speak about it. Okay.
0: And then what brought you to choose yourself to choose to no longer be silent about your own story, not just for the sake of the church.
1: Um, so I was telling it in small audiences uh, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And then when I got my first, uh, when I got my literary agent in 2004, um I started, I got two book contracts right away. One of them was called Building the Christian Family You Never Had. And in that story or in that book with Waterbrook, um, I had to tell my story in order to say, okay, if you want to be a pioneer parent and you want to do things differently, um, here's how I learned how to do that. And, And for my reader to trust me, I had to tell my story. I was petrified to have it imprint. It's one thing to say it in an audience. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to have it out in the world, like that way. Right. And so I, I was terrified. And I wrote it when I lived in France and everything was falling apart in France. And I did not tell my family that I was writing it because I knew I would have them on my shoulder yelling at me saying, you can't tell the story. Uh, so I, but before it got printed, I had to for legal reasons. And so I did. And I feared that, um, particularly the person I sent it to that they would say it didn't happen. You're a liar. And, um, I'm going to withdraw my love from you. Those are my two big fears and, uh, took weeks for the person to respond. And when they did, They said exactly all my fears, you're a liar, it didn't happen. And I'm basically moving away from you. And, um, and what was interesting about that story is that I felt like every bad thing, like Job had said, the very thing I feared came upon me, the thing that I feared came upon me, and yet I was Okay and I was still standing and that gave me the bravery to begin to really just say okay I don't care I've I've done it I've been rejected it's over I mean I that was my worst fear it happened Jesus still loves me I still have a great loving family it's all fine and that gave me the impetus to begin to really be honest about my story from that point on both in print and in speaking
0: and has there been any restoration with that family member
1: Yes, and that has been the biggest wow. surprise of my life because mm-hmm. there was a separation of at least a decade, maybe longer, mm-hmm. where I couldn't even have a phone call or it, would, it was just so bad. I'd have to go to counseling after every phone call. So um, we took a break. And what's interesting to me is that reconciliation was not sabotaged by me telling the truth. Mm-hmm. It was actually the basis for the person to come back and for us to have a relationship again. And so I think a lot of us fear like, oh, if you tell the truth to your parents, your grandparents, then you'll ruin the relationship. Well, you may Mm -hmm. for a time, Mm -hmm. but it cannot be rebuilt on a lie. And so if you really want reconciliation, you do need to speak the truth, of course, in love and with the most kind way that you can. But it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen.
0: Well, I would think that the average person would feel total uh, guilt and blame when they hear what happened to you, even if they themselves didn't cause it (laughs) because they allowed it.
1: Uh, Yeah. I don't think that happened in my case, but, um, but, and I just want to encourage people too. the first person that I told was a family member. And it was a decade later after all this abuse had happened and they did not believe me. And I had to tell the story like 10, 15 times and almost take their face and say, it happened. You have to believe me before I was believed. And so I know that those who are struggling to tell their story, I just have to caution you. There could be people who do not believe you, Mm -hmm. but I kept telling that story and I told it to my young life leaders. And once I told it to them and my church leaders, that's when the healing really started to begin. Wow.
0: Wow. And that takes, I would think, a lot of courage.
1: I don't know. I think more it was desperation, desperation. of okay of wanting to get better because <laughs> yeah. I knew I had this story inside of me and I was mm-hmm. dying inside. Mm-hmm. In a very uh, in a
0: smaller way, I was desperate for to tell my story when I went through doubt when I woke up one day and I wasn't sure that God existed. Mm. And I was in the midst of a Christian college education and it had nothing to do with that. I don't know what it had to do with other than the fact that it took me several months to tell anybody. And uh, another several months to uh, have my faith restored. And I feel the same way, Mary, that we need to talk more about doubt uh, to um, to the church. Because there are people sitting in the audience, I've spoken in college chapels, where I've talked about it because no one talked about it in my college chapel. Mm-hmm. No one mm-hmm. ever talked about it. So then you feel like you're alone and uh, that there's really no end to it and there's no healing in sight. So once I started talking about it to trusted people, like you said, and heard some really fabulous answers like, if God is not big enough for your question, Sue, he's not a big enough God. And to hear that from someone that you respect Really helped me. So I, I see that in a similar parallel, not that we need to hang dirty laundry, but that we speak the truth and love, not just for our, our own healing, but for the healing of our audience, the people who are listening. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your biggest legacy?
1: I would say that it's a healed life. Um, I will be fully healed on the other side. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm completely healed, but Um, because God has done so much healing from so much trauma, uh, that's what I write about. That's what I talk about. Um, I did not parent my children the way I was parented, uh, completely different legacy there. Um, my husband and I both are pioneer parents, first generation Christians. Hmm. And so we put a stake in the ground and we did things differently. Um, lots of mistakes along the way. So don't think we're awesome or anything, but, um, but yeah, my legacy would be a healed life.
0: Okay. And when you say uh, you're stake in the ground, you decided as a couple, you would do things differently. Can you just name two or three things that you did differently?
1: Yeah, I definitely wanted to be there with my kids and I wanted them to not ever feel abandoned. I wanted them to have a home where they knew that they were wanted and loved and so those are kind of intangible things, but I was constantly demonstrating and telling my kids that I love them because, I to grow up in a loveless home is a is a terrible thing for a child, and to grow up in a neglectful home, um, that some statistics say that neglect is even worse than abuse because it's like they don't even care. <laughs> so, yeah, right. uh, so I went I went the opposite direction. So basically, I just did the opposite of what I experienced growing up in hopes that. Um, you know, in my frailty, the Holy Spirit would get a word in edgewise and really help me to parent my kids.
0: Did you have models in your life as uh, young parents that helped you or that you said, hey, I want to parent like that person? Or were you being mentored? Or did you just I, make it up?
1: I kind of made it up. I, I was watching people all the time because you don't mm-hmm. learn by hearing advice. You learn by watching. Right. And so if I saw someone being really patient with a child in a grocery store, I would tuck that away. Eventually, when my um, oldest two were about, were, were just around, let's see, how old were they? Um, like four and two, four and one. I did meet a lady who I took a walk with um, once a week and she mentored me and that was really helpful. Uh, I just had all sorts of questions Mainly what I did was I just cried a lot and got on my knees and said, Jesus, I don't know how to do this. I have zero example, and my fallback is neglect. So you've got to help me.
0: Mm. Um, and have you written a book about that, haven't you? About reparenting, pioneer pain. What's that called? Building the Christian Family You Never Had. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned that. I think that's a great title and so needed. And um, I'll put it in show notes, so don't worry if you mm-hmm. if you miss the title. Um you may have answered this already, but how are you currently leaving the heal- the legacy of A Healed Life?
1: Yeah, it's just living my life um, full bent toward Jesus and um, seeking the Spirit to tell me who to love and who to pour into. Um, it's writing the books that I'm supposed to write and praying every day on my podcast and uh, just continuing to walk in um, the next stage of my life with fear and trembling and trusting that God will lead me to the next thing and the next thing. Mm.
0: And <clears throat> what obstacles keep you from doing those things?
1: I think uh, COVID was one. Um, it kind of, just like you, it kind of upset the apple cart of, I was mostly speaking to make, mm-hmm. an, make ends meet. And, and in having isolation for so long, I feel like I've forgotten how to relate to people, a Don't bit, you, mean. you know, and so now when I go back into a speaking environment, I have to be like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I have to remember pre-COVID how I interacted with humans and um, praying for people and all of that. So I think that was an obstacle of, of just, and also my husband and I, we really are, we practice hospitality quite often. And during COVID, obviously we couldn't do that, and so we've gotten out of the habit of it, and I'm sad, and so that's an obstacle mm-hmm. that um, we're trying to overcome. But even with, you know, with the Delta variant and all that, it's still kind of complicated. So mm-hmm. we're just praying that um, eventually we'll be able to be hospitable again.
0: I totally get that. You know that, and um, I did have nine women in the backyard last night under little lights, and I had to, in the middle of it, go in and get nine. Afghans to cover them up because mm-hmm. even though it's California, it was still chilly around mm-hmm. eight 30 and uh, people were so anxious to come. They want to get out. They want to fellowship with each other. And I think the Lord just has to give us creative ways to do it yeah. mm-hmm. like front porch and all that sort of thing. But yes, I did miss the the big crowds this whole last year and who knows what's ahead, right? Mm-hmm. We only got, I was telling my pastor, don't worry about the mass thing. You know, we've never been in control. We're just reminded now that, again, yet we are not in control. Only God is. Is there a last bit of wisdom that you can leave with our audience, Mary?
1: I would say that um, Jesus makes it pretty clear. He says to love God and love others. And uh, that's really part of the Shema as well. I mean, it's throughout the Old and New Testament. And therefore, To bring it back down to simplicity, I think we have really complicated lives and we can overwork and we can not rest and we can um, not take care of ourselves, but really it boils down to, am I loving God today? How am I doing that? And am I loving other people today? And how am I sacrificing for that? Um, And asking yourself those two simple questions every day will kind of reorient you back to what's really, really important.
0: Mm. Yeah, recently I read um, the verse where Jesus said well I have to go about my father's business Mm -hmm. so I've decided I'm going to produce a to do list called about my father's business Mm -hmm. and then my life gets interrupted all day long and I go oh no that was my father's business I don't need to fret as complicated as things are Mary you have been an absolute delight and a blessing and so thank you so much for your time thank you for having me I appreciate it until next time think about your legacy the one God has called you to live all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.